So the real gospel, because gospel means good news, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. I will read, you listen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and want to hold on to the reality that you are with us. Father, whether we recognize it or not, there is nothing more we need than relationship with the God who made us. We need you to be with us. So open our eyes to this reality. God, let us see it in all of its power and in all that it means for our real lives for this afternoon and for Monday and for Tuesday, for all that it means for all of us who need you so desperately. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. I pray that you'd speak to us as a church and you'd speak to us personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's in a name? The naming of anything is challenging because we all know that there's a lot in a name. If you're going to name a child, that child every time they're referred to in a class or at work or in your home, their name is used. Kanye West, know him? Kanye West, who's getting a lot of publicity right now, understood the power of a name when he had a professing real encounter with God and developed a new album. He said, I'm going to title the album, Jesus is King. Because even when the critics refer to it, they'll have to say, Jesus is king. (laughs) That's brilliant, by the way. Regardless of what you think of Kanye West and his experience with Jesus, that's brilliant. Names have power. Uh, In all honesty, my wife and I named our four kids kind of because we liked the names and then we figured out meaning behind them, but we try to speak to them about their names all the time. So Braden, you kind of search the meaning of Braden, and if you search long enough, there's a meaning that's brave, right? So I talk to him, buddy, your, your name means brave, and God says, be strong and courageous, for I go with you wherever you go. Your bravery is based upon God. Your name means brave. My second son, who's 12's name is Yale, like the university, Y-A-L-E. We picked it because my wife liked it. That's the facts. Um, 
And I had a really good friend who stood with me in my wedding named Yale. But Yale, when you do research, is a variant of the Hebrew word y'all. Not the Texas greeting, but, <laughs> but the Hebrew word y'all, Y-A-E-L, which means God's strength. His middle name is James, which is his grandfather, Tom's father's. Went by Jim, his name was James, and so we'll say God's strength, Yale. The book of James in the Bible is all about God's strength and action. So we'll talk about through you, in God's spirit, God's strength and action. My oldest daughter is Luciana. Lucy means light, Anna means grace, her name means light of grace. So I have a prayer card for her that she would display the light of Jesus in the ways of Jesus and in the ways of grace. My youngest daughter, Harmony, um, which were in Advent, just like Advent, I should say, waiting for her to live into her name fully, right? Um, <laughs> Harmony, when she was born, Brian Berger, who's a pastor here on my staff, one of my closest friends, we played baseball together at ASU, sent me the passage in Colossians that says, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There's a lot that's built up into a name, and God knew this. In this passage, when he's speaking about the fact that a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he reveals it to Joseph, because Joseph's woman he had been betrothed to, it would be an understanding of engagement, but deeper and more committed than engagement, but they had not yet consummated the marriage in the marriage bed. So they hadn't yet been together, this passage says, and yet his wife was pregnant. That would provide a problem for us all. Am I, am I right? Right? You'd be like, this is a real problem. But he's a just man, and so he decides, okay, this isn't going to work. I'll divorce her quietly. And then as he's saying that, an angel of the Lord appears to him. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Right? The Bible is so realistic, right? Because you know he's sitting there thinking like, people know the wedding date, she's going to give birth, they're going to do the math, right? I'm going to look like I didn't live in to the commandments of God, right? She was pregnant before they were actually married, right? There's fear all over this. She's going to be pregnant, she likely may start showing. He's scared, right? So this statement, do not fear, don't let this just be another Christmas line. He's saying, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I do always have these moments where I'm like, what does he say at that point, like of the dream? What are you talking about? Yeah, right. He wakes up like it's a nightmare. This is insane. Was that believable? Was it not? But he says, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Then she will bear a son, and you shall call his name. Things were much easier for Joseph and Mary. I mean, my wife and I sat and thought about names way too long. And they were just like, the angel of the Lord's like, here's the name. It's Jesus. Like, I, I wonder at that moment if he's like, but I don't like the name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, and there's a reason, for he will save his people from their sins. Built up in this name Jesus is the reality of this baby's saving power. And then 
the writer, Matthew, says this, and this was all took place to fulfill what the Lord, that's God, had spoken by the prophet. What did the prophet say? Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Who's the virgin? Mary, right? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what is it? Is it Emmanuel or is it Jesus? Matthew's not confused. He wrote them both right next to each other. Is it Emmanuel or is it Jesus? Because the angel of the Lord said, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. But this was to fulfill what the prophet said. So do we conclude, well, the prophets are wrong? This idea of God with us was all throughout the Old Testament. And if you look at Matthew chapter 1, there's a whole genealogy before the section we just got into. And there's name after name. This person was fathered by this person, who was fathered by this person, who was fathered by this person. It's a genealogy. And if you trace the Old Testament, here's one thing that you can conclude. In the midst of all of those names and the story of all of these people in the nation of Israel, they lived lives just like ours in that they were hard. I'm in a church, so I can't say it fully, but there's times that you'll drive by bumper stickers and there'll be this statement that says, life's a bear and then you die doesn't actually say that, but life's hard and then you die for everybody. So oftentimes as a pastor or as a friend or as a father or as a son for that matter, I'm constantly talking to people and just saying there is so much freedom in just accepting that life isn't just hard for you, it's hard for everybody. It was really hard for these people. If you read these stories and you know the Old Testament, what the people of God knew is that things were really, really hard. And they were really, really hard because of what people did to them. The word would be like oppression, and we'll talk about that in amidst. It was unfair. Words would be unjust. Life was just hard, and we know that. Some of you know that by the places that you work or the environments that you're in or the families that you're in is that you just feel like they are after you or on you or really unfair or doing things unjustly. But then there's also a recognition in the, the Israelites, this whole genealogy, of they recognize that at many points, and maybe most of the time, their life was tremendously hard because evil was coming out of them. It wasn't just coming at them from the outside. That was true, but it was also coming out of them. There were all of these things that they shouldn't be doing that they were doing, and things that they weren't doing that they knew they should be doing. There's an amazing section in the book of Isaiah and it builds up from chapter 63. Uh, you can't open there, you don't have to, but it builds out from chapter 63 and Isaiah, through the words of God, is trying to plead with God to be merciful to his people because they themselves have sinned, that they weren't able to just point their finger outward, but that sin resided within them. But sin was everywhere. Anguish and pain, the canvas in which life is presented is a canvas of darkness. It's hard. It's a struggle, and Isaiah understands that, and he's praying for mercy to God, praying that God would do something. It comes to Isaiah 64.1, and he says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, 
that the mountains might quake at your presence. And when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries. Isaiah knew there was a power in a name. Isaiah knew help had to come from the outside. God rend the heavens and come down. Here's what he's praying. Let Emmanuel be true. God come be with us. God with us is the longing This is stated, actually, in a Christmas carol, which you should really listen. The real Christmas carols, not just Jingle Bell Rock, but the real Christmas carols are absolutely profound in their lyrics. This year, turn them on and listen to the words or go on to Google, print them out, or just look them up on your phone and reflect upon the power of them. But one of them talks about the longing of every human heart. God with us. Now hear me on this. In some way is the longing of every human heart. Which is this deep recognition inside you of the canvas of darkness that is all of our lives. This sense that all of us, even now, are waiting for something to show up outside of ourselves. We would say someone, but the longer you live, you begin to realize, like, they're as screwed up as I am. They're as powerless as I am. They're as confused as I am. And even the systems and the organizations or the inventions that they come up with, sure, they can make our lives better, but it doesn't ultimately fix it. There's something deeper. The cry of God with us is a recognition that government is not fundamentally the answer. It isn't the next political party. The fundamental answer and the fundamental problem isn't in that politician or that economic system. It's not in socialism and or capitalism. The fundamental problem or the reality of the ultimate hope isn't in either one of those. It isn't in a better economy. It isn't in more intelligence. It isn't in AI. Right? The fundamental problem or the ultimate hope isn't in AI or anything else. The Sun Devils winning yesterday was very enjoyable, (laughs) but it doesn't change much for me. Anything. The cry for God to be with us, but why God? Are these names of Emmanuel and Jesus ultimately different? Matthew 1.21, we already read, and here's the statement, she will bear a son, This virgin, Mary, who conceives by the Holy Spirit, not by natural, typical means, but because God has a plan. She bears a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, somebody that was really schooled in the Old Testament might begin to ask questions now for a few different reasons. The name Jesus has built up in it. This is the way we understand it. Other ways to say this, maybe an English way would be Joshua. But they heard, like so many other words all throughout the Old Testament, this name of God, Yeshua, was built up in the name Jesus. Just like Yale is a variant of a word that means God's strength, when you said the name Jesus, you spoke of rescue. You spoke of the name of God and in his very character, this reality that God 
is the one who saves because God is the only one powerful enough, wise enough, strong enough to save. The Old Testament all throughout it has this statement that the Lord is the one who saves. So here's the reality. This name Emmanuel and the name Jesus, if God comes into the darkness, God comes in the midst of our mess, it means a lot of things. Let me just stop before I say what it ultimately means. But if this is the message of Christmas, the hope that gives meaning to our waiting for things to be made right, Christmas isn't fundamentally about sentimentality and green by food coloring cornflakes with red hots on top of them. It's not even ultimately about families by a fire. It's about the holy fire of God coming down to save people from sin. The name Jesus, the name that's spoken and you hear God as Savior in the midst of. This is why the angel goes, I don't really care what you want to name your baby. Because it is your baby, but ultimately it's my son. And you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's what's so key for us to ultimately understand Advent, which isn't just a time to get ready to open presents. It isn't just the time to go out and shop to make sure you have presents. Advent fundamentally isn't about the eager anticipation of things that make the hair stand up on your body. And for you to get, I love Christmas. Advent fundamentally is the reality of real life that the majority of our life is spent going, this is not right. I am not right. There are problems all around me and there's problems within me. Here's what the Bible says. The problems around you aren't because people aren't doing it your way, not seeing it the way you see it. The problems aren't the name of a person, the name of a political party, or the name of a country. The problems aren't fundamentally your boss or your neighbors. The problem isn't fundamentally even you by name. The problem's sin. Now, this is where we, we, we struggle because we hear the word sin and we're like, ah, oh, this isn't a very uplifting, happy message. Here's what it is. It's a real message. The longer I go in life, and I'm not stating myself to be old, but I'm certainly older than I was 10 years ago, just like you are. And the more I go and live real life, the more I'm like, the Bible is true. It's like this. It's not like, it's like life is living itself out. Our lives are living themselves out. My life, your life is living itself out. The world's living its life out. And constantly it just begins to present these things that you go, well, the Bible talked about that. Yeah, the Bible says that. Yeah, the Bible gives me a frame to understand that. Everything God's word says doesn't return void and it proves itself to be true. And the Bible says the reason the world is twisted and distorted, the reason you aren't the way you know you should be, the reason your conscience testifies to the fact that you're twisted and wrong is sin. 
So I want to speak a real life message to you. A real, real life message to you. Not just a fantasy message, not just one of sentimentality. And the reality is the world needs to be saved from sin. The truth is God's people must be saved from our sin. The reality is there is no other name under heaven by which we, you and I, must be saved but at the name of Jesus. But what's sin? Here's the challenge. So oftentimes we shrink sin and we make it really, really small. We're like, yeah, everybody's a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And by that, you mean you're doing things that you shouldn't do. That is sin. That's why your conscience is telling you consistently this isn't right. That's true. But sin's more than that. And it gives way more meaning to the world that we live in if we understand it rightly and don't shrink it. But we actually see it the way God tells it, it's true. So I've done this before in here, but I want to speak to you about the reality of sin in four dimensions, four ways of what sin is. And then I'm going to stop for a minute and speak to you from the Bible, how it testifies that that's true, and speak from our experience of how that's true. First one is this, sin is cosmic. By cosmic, I mean there is a battle that's bigger than anything we know. The Bible testifies to this. So when sin enters into the story, and you see in the book of Genesis, in 1 and 2, things are good. The world God created is good. We have to understand that human beings are made in the image of God, and God says everything that he made is good. Genesis 3 comes on the scene, and there is a serpent And people go, well, how is there a serpent there that's there to tempt and to draw us to sin? This serpent is the reality of evil in the world, evil personified in who the Bible calls the devil. Now, you may go, that's crazy, I don't know. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you don't believe in that, you have to begin to speak to why the world is as evil. Not just, you could say screwed up, is evil as it is. Why is it that human beings are so bent on themselves they'll squash other people to get what they want? When the scriptures speak to us, it speaks that there is a reality of evil in the world and sin is there at cosmic, bigger than us levels. Revelation chapter 12 speaks about this birth that we've been talking about. And it says that in the heavens there's a woman who's about to conceive, but then there's the evil one, a dragon. If you just go to Revelation chapter 12, you can see this, who's trying to kill the baby. And the reason in this cosmic battle the enemy wants to crush the baby is because the baby is the one who will ultimately crush him. Jesus speaks about the enemy this way in John chapter 10. He says, I'm the good shepherd, but there's one who will try to keep you from the gate, the one who will try to keep you from the good shepherd, and he's a liar and a thief, a deceiver and a destroyer. It's the enemy. That's the cosmic battle. And then 1 John chapter 3 says that Jesus came on the scene to destroy the works of the devil, which is why the devil was trying to destroy the baby. Sin's cosmic. Sin is also societal. So the enemy speaks all the time these lies. Did God actually say that is one of them in Genesis chapter 3. The enemy is speaking lies to us, not just through billboards and commercials, but through the way we live in our everyday lives. 
The enemy is speaking things to us saying this will give life that will actually give death. Saying this is the problem when in fact the problem is something else. Saying this is, will bring hope when the reality hope is only found in God through his son Jesus Christ. But society speaks messages to us that we don't even understand, which is why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 says, do not be conformed to the world, society, because sin is baked into society living out the lies of the enemy. So rather than just walking around looking for the devil under every rock, look around See the messages that are being purported to you. Ask questions about, they're saying the good life is this. They're saying the problem is this. They're saying hope is this. And if the problem is anything but sin, and hope is anything but Jesus, it's a lie. Folks, not just a religious lie, though it is. It's a true lie about the real world. It's a lie. Sin is cosmic, it's societal. This is why society is screwed up. This is why there are systems that are unjust, lies that are being purported, babies who are being murdered, kids who are being caged. This is why people are being unjustly fired and unjustly arrested and other people are losing their job because they're falsely accused. And other folks' lives are going away because they're saying something that's true and people are telling them it's a false accusation. You're like, well, how can I make sense of any of this? One woman really has been abused and another one's just lying. How do I make sense of this? God help us. God be with us. God give us wisdom. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Sin is cosmic, it's societal. Here's the thing, it's individual. Because at this point, it'd be easy to go, yes, it's all that stuff out there. Here's what the Bible consistently says. Here's what Jesus is constantly doing. That which you're so good at pointing out in them resides even deeper in you. This is what the Apostle Paul does in the book of Romans. You who are so good and so clearly see the sin in them, you yourselves, how does Paul say it? Do the very same things. So you see this in sin. I mean, this is uh, specifically at an individual level in Psalm 51. David, who's called a man after God's own heart, says, I have sinned against you, God, and you alone. And what was he talking about? He took another woman and slept with her, and then in order to cover it up, killed her husband. That's a problem. The sin was in him. And yet he was constantly looking at the sin all around him, but the sin was in him. But then it gets even to this more subtle level that we might not understand. But Psalm 42, verse 5 Psalm 42, verse 5, David is speaking and he says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? This is emotional oppression. We could call it depression. We could call it anxiety. But here's his statement. I need to deal with my anxiety this way. You know, I've been given these techniques, which are all helpful. I need to deal with my depression this way. He goes, hope 
in God. For I shall again praise him who is God, my salvation, Yeshua, the name of Jesus. God saves from sin and the effects of sin. When we're dealing with these dark, dark nights, it isn't just because you did something bad. That's not what that is. But it's the reality of sin at a cosmic, societal, and individual level that you're experiencing. Things that just seem to come on you from the outside are there because of sin. Things that come out of you that you never dreamed and you're disgusted by, or maybe now you've just hardened your conscience to it and you just go, it is what it is and I continue to do it, are also because of sin. Evil governments like we saw in the book of Exodus and the evil that comes out of our own hearts and the evil that comes upon us don't shrink sin. It's cosmic, it's societal, it's individual, and it's ecclesial. This may be where you remember me saying this before. Ecclesial just means the church. It's in the church. Folks, all throughout the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, the people of God are not in any long-term way faithful. They're sinful. And you go, well, what about the New Testament? Every New Testament letter that's written is written as a corrective. Even the one, the book of Philippians, that people would say, well, that one's kind of about joy. He's sitting there going, will you tell these women to get along because they're gossiping and backstabbing each other all the time? Sin is in the church. Our hope isn't in the church. It's in Jesus. Our hope isn't in a government. It's in Jesus. Our hope isn't in ourselves. It's in Jesus. Don't shrink sin because if you do, you shrink Jesus. And if you shrink, if you shrink Jesus, you shrink joy. So let me just ask you just a question. Don't even think too deep with me here for a minute. Do you want small joy or big joy? Come on. Big joy, right? And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Joy unspeakable, the Bible talks about. Don't shrink Jesus, which means we have to see sin in its fullness. It will give us understanding of the world that we live in, understanding of the darkness in our own hearts, and a quest that whether it's the dark night of the soul, like David in Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? You go, the reality is a savior, his name is Jesus. He will save his people from sin, from their sin and all of its effects. Hope in God, the God who's with us, the God whose name is Jesus. When you're in a situation and you feel like you're under an oppressive regime in your family or in your workplace or in the country you live in or what may come upon us, hope in God, the Lord saves. Folks, it's at every level when we need correction, when we need direction, when we need instruction, when we need salvation. It's Jesus. That's what Advent is. I'm going to read you one final passage in the book of Romans. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Here's what he's saying when he says that. The whole creation means everything. That includes you and me. That includes all of human life and the companies and corporations. That includes all that we see and everything we can't see is groaning 
in groaning in pains of childbirth, groaning under the reality of sin. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait. That's what the word Advent means. We wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, you feel like you're still living in it? Hope that's seen isn't hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. The whole context is hope in God. Psalm 42. God is with us as a rescuer. I'm going to take time. We're just going to be quiet right now as the communion servers um, prepare these elements. The body and blood of Jesus Christ. Hope in God whose name is Jesus. We come at this moment regardless of how we affect the groaning under sin within us or without, from without of, outside of us. We groan. And we groan and we take our groans to Jesus himself, his body crucified, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Let's be quiet as the communion servers come forward.